Well, it's all kicking off in Qatar, isn't it? But you know, one thing they won't be kicking off about is the fact that Christians are persecuted. I don't know if you know this, but there is no freedom of religion for Qatari people. It's really difficult to be a Christian in Qatar. You have to meet in secret. You're part of an illegal underground church. There are many expat workers in Qatar who go to church, and they seem to have the ability to do so. And um, at Open Doors, we're going to kick off about the persecution of Christians during the World Cup. And I'd love to invite you to do the same. You can pray. If you're on social media, you can give us a follow at Open Doors UK. Just this afternoon, I was on the old Instagram between doing a few things, like waiting for my car to get fixed, but that's another story. And uh, we posted our sort of pray when they play posts or first posts on on social media so during the first two weeks of the world cup every day there's going to be a country where christians are persecuted that's playing so qatar kicked off the world cup today we prayed for qatar today and i'd encourage you to follow that to track with that as the tournament continues tomorrow england play iran iran is the ninth most dangerous place on earth to be a christian let's be praying for christians in iran and tackle persecution through the world cup so give us a follow there at open doors uk you can still download our world cup wall chart mine sitting on my fridge so uh, you can go and do that go to opendoorsuk.org forward slash world cup and get hold of some resources there hopefully you've got one of these near you or by you on your row i would love it if you would look at that you know if you get bored while i'm speaking have a read of it flick through it love you to think about a journey with a persecuted church a few weeks back i met someone called hannah who serves with open doors in one of the most dangerous places on earth. It's like a breeding ground for extremists. It's a place where Christians have to meet in secret. It's life and death choices. And she said, you know what, Emma, when I know that you're praying for me, not just me, you as the church here in the UK, when I know that you're praying for us, for me, I know that we're bolstered. We really feel it in those times when it just feels so overwhelming. Persecution is so extreme. We really feel it. We so value your prayers. We're called to do that as Christians, aren't we? Our brothers and sisters around the world living in the most hostile, dangerous places need us to pray. They need us to strengthen them. And that's what we encourage you to do at Open Doors, to strengthen the persecuted church. Hannah went on to say this. She said, I have this vision to see the kingdom of God stretch and expand. I want to love the church. I want to see the persecuted strong, active, and alive. Do you know what? That essentially is the vision of open doors. And if you're a Christian here tonight, and I'm sure most of you are, you are part of that story. So please, please strengthen the persecuted church with open doors. Pray, be informed, get to know what's going on, take action, give where you can, speak up. We really need you to do that. They need you to do that tonight. So fill that out. And then I'll be out there at the end of the service. Come and see me. And actually you get a free book. What's not to love about that? And it's an amazing book. It's called God Smuggler. The story of Brother Andrew, the guy that founded Open Doors. I read it when I was 18. Profoundly impacted my life. I'm sure there's people here tonight that can testify to that. Just this amazing adventure with Jesus. And going to the places where faith costs the most. And, and just seeing that there is no place or person that is unreachable for the gospel. So if you want to get hold of that book, come and fill this out and come and see me at the end. Ruby and Salome lost their husbands on the same day in 2019. 
in the hours, weeks, and months that followed that atrocity, they were just numb. They felt let down by God. They felt hate. They were widowed, and their young daughters were left without a dad. You see, their husbands were butchered by Islamic militants in their village in northern Nigeria. And actually today, we estimate every day that in northern Nigeria, 12 Christians are killed for their faith. Now, we're nearly through three quarters of this day. So let that figure, that stat sink in. 12 Christians, people who love Jesus, who share our faith but not our freedom, are losing their lives for Jesus today. And Ruby and Salome's husbands were victims like that. About six months after that atrocity in their village, I traveled to northern Nigeria. I went to a trauma center run by Open Doors Partners. And I met Ruby and Salome. They attended a trauma counseling program. Now, I can tell you this. They were not pleased to be there. They came with their grief and bitterness, anger. It was palpable. It was fresh. It was raw. And you can understand it, can't you, what they went through. They'd only come because their pastor had insisted on it. And they announced that if there was any mention of forgiveness or loving their enemies, they'd be off, they'd be leaving, they'd be going home. But over the course of a, of a few days, something seismic went on. Something began to shift. And Jesus was at work. He was at work in their hearts and the other women that attended this trauma counseling session. You see, Ruby and Salome, they began to share their story of grief, and they wept uncontrollably, and they realized that this was a safe place for them to. It was a place where they were going to be listened to for perhaps the first time. There was no shame or stigma. They could just open their heart wounds and be free to do that. And it was a seismic shift, because by the end of the week, they had moved from a place of hate to starting on a journey of forgiveness, a journey of forgiveness. Jesus warned his followers to expect persecution. Like you read the New Testament, and most of the New Testament is about persecution and suffering. Think about it for a moment. The New Testament was largely written by persecuted Christians, writing to fellow persecuted Christians. The cost, the reality of following Jesus was there from the get-go. But Jesus also says this, as we are persecuted, as we're suffered for following him, we've also got to offer a radical response to it. Instead of fighting fire with fire as Christians, we're supposed to put out the, the flames of persecution and suffering with love. With love. Now, this isn't just a message for Ruby and Salome and those in the persecuted church. It is for us too. It is for us too. And maybe you're thinking tonight, I don't really feel like I've got an enemy. Maybe you had a good laugh at the Simpsons and and, uh, and friends there. And you kind of think, it's hard to really think about the enemy, but think about those who you dislike. Think about those who support different football teams from you. But political views, parties, all those kind of things where you kind of disagree. People you just aren't naturally drawn to. Someone that might cut you up on the road and you think they're an absolute idiot. They become an enemy in that moment. And maybe for some of you, you do relate a bit to what Ruby and Salome went to. Maybe there's something that's happened where someone has done something that's so unforgivable to you and you cannot let that go. So tonight we need to look at what Jesus says in this text. So if you've got a Bible, keep it open, or the church Bibles, or if it's on your phone, let's look at Matthew 5 together in this text for a few minutes. So you've come to the 6th of 
you've heard that it was said. Well done if you're here for the sixth time. Brilliant. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is coming back, isn't he, to his central vision. It's like his manifesto for life. It's a manifesto of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we're to love others, whether we like them or not. Tough one. So in this series, in this, you've heard that it was said, we've seen that Jesus is making a stark contrast between what God wants people to know and crucially put into practice as followers of the way of Jesus and the traditional accepted form of Judaism taught by the religious leaders of the day. Basically, Jesus comes back to flip it on its head and say, and get back to basics, get back to the full meaning. Because you see what happened, if you look a little bit more at the text, you'll see that you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Basically, the, the, the leaders of the day had taken verses out of context way back in Leviticus. If you want the exact text, it's Leviticus 19 verse uh, verse 18. And so somehow over time, this definition of what it meant to love your neighbor had narrowed, it had morphed, it had changed and come to mean something way, way different from what God intended. So in a sense, it came to mean this, that you liked those you, you lived by. You liked those who were like you. Everybody else outside of that defined set group, you could dislike, you could hate, you could actually regard them as an enemy. Now, in that context, as Jesus was sharing on the, on the hillside of the Sea of Galilee, it was like a mic drop moment, because maybe some of us, we find it hard to fully get the extent of what it means to have an enemy. But for the crowd standing around Jesus, they knew what it was like to have an enemy. For 70 years, they had lived under Roman occupation. The military might of Rome was in their faces. There was no sign of the occupation ending. They felt the oppression of it. They saw their enemies around them every day, the military force of Rome. They also saw that they had tax collectors who were Jewish but were in cahoots with the Romans. So the enemy was a little bit closer to home as well. And times were hard. They were living a hand-to-mouth existence. Every day they were reminded that they had an enemy, a little bit like Ruby and Salome and other Christians in northern Nigeria. So Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In verse 44 there, it, it's, it's noticing there there's a, there's a present tense. We're meant to be constantly loving our enemies, consistently loving our enemies, loving the people you don't get on with, who aren't like you, who you're not naturally drawn to, those that hurt you, those that you hold a grudge against, and then maybe on a national, global level, those who have real differences from you, different views from you, even the systems, the structures, the powers in our world, the dictatorships that you see. The world is full of enemies. The world is full of enemies. And Jesus here in this passage gives us, gives us an idea of how we go about starting to love our enemy, how we start to make an enemy a neighbor, and how we love like Jesus. Because essentially, if you're a Christian here tonight, that's what we're called to do, aren't we? To, to love and live like Jesus. 
Now, it's not easy. I have a 10-year-old daughter who, uh, who is learning this. She was rather ticked off that a classmate called her a name. Like, she said, oh, my friend body shamed me. And I, I, I did take it quite seriously to a degree. But I said, Evie, we have got to, we've got to forgive Charlotte. You've got to forgive Charlotte. And Evie was like, no, I'm not going to forgive Charlotte. She's been horrible to me. And then I thought we had a breakthrough because we began praying for Charlotte. And even Evie prayed for Charlotte. But then the following day, she was like, no, I still dislike Charlotte. She's, she's really annoying. But you know, this journey of forgiveness, it is a process, isn't it? It might not be instantaneous. It might take, it might take years that Jesus works on our hearts. I've been spending a bit of time with a friend of mine from northern Nigeria. She's part of the Open Doors trauma team there. She's incredible. She's called Tiram. And she, she was telling me, you know, Emma, this, this whole journey of forgiveness, loving your enemy, it's a process. It's like you go from one village to another village to another village to another village. And you might actually end up going back to a previous village. But you keep going on that journey. It's a process, this journey of forgiveness. And you know what? We don't do this alone. We do it with God. We do it with Jesus. So a couple of thoughts really just to help us get this idea of how do we put this into practice? How do we love our neighbor? How do we love others, even the people we really don't get on with, the people that irritate us, the people that tick us off, and maybe those who really do hurt us, our enemy? Well, I believe it requires our heads and our hearts. It requires all of us, every fiber of our being, but you know what? It does, we can't do it alone. It starts with our head, and it starts with us saying, Jesus, I need you to help me in this, in this discipleship journey of becoming more like you, Jesus, and loving my, my enemy and helping them to become a neighbor. I need you. Because let's be honest, our natural human reaction isn't to be kind all the time, isn't to be gracious and so, show mercy, is it? It's, it's to actually hold the grudge. And we need Jesus so badly. It's what Ruby and Salome needed in northern Nigeria. We need God's help. We need his grace. We need his spirit in our lives to help us, shape us, to become more like Jesus. After all, Jesus loved us. We were once enemies of God. And we love because he first loved us. So we're called to do this. We're called to love our enemies. Jesus himself tells us to do this. So it's a step of obedience. It's saying yes to God whether we like it or not. And that's hard, isn't it? It's not easy to, to do this. And the kind of love that Jesus talks about when he says loving your enemies is agape love. It's a love that costs. It's not the gushy, fuzzy, you know, think happy, warm thoughts kind of love. It's a love that costs. It's the unconditional love that Jesus himself displays and shows to us. It's a love that says, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. It's an act of the will, a choice. And you say, Jesus, I need to partner with you in loving my enemy. And I want to share a story with you about three women called Rebecca, Etty, and Ratna. They're from Indonesia. Indonesia is one of the largest Muslim countries on earth. And they lived in a place called Indramaya, West Java. Go on Google later and you can see it. I quite like doing that kind of thing. So Indramaya, West Java. Rebecca was a doctor and she was like the leader of this little house church that met in this community. It was only a small church of about 30 people. And uh, their journey from church would take them through the streets of their town. And they'd come across a lot of street children. They were like the, the children of prostitutes. They were amongst the lowest of the low, the poor in their community. And God really prompted them to, to start to do something in their community. 
to love their community as they were living as a minority there. And so Rebecca and her friends, Etty and Ratner, decided that they start a kids' club. Called it a great name, wait for it. The Happy Tuesday Club. The Happy Tuesday Club. And do you know what they did? They got permission from the parents that these kids could go. And, um, and the local authorities. And the Happy Tuesday Club was formed. And it went on for a few months. And it was, it was great. It was a place where the kids heard Bible stories about Jesus. They, they had fun. They got a, perhaps their one decent meal of the week. And, and they also received some practical health care. Rebecca was a doctor, so she could do that kind of thing. And it was, it was great. It was thriving. But do you know what? It ticked off the local extremists. They became incensed that Christianity was being a bit more visible and public in their community. And so they got these three women arrested, arrested for running a kids' club. And what happens next is there's a, there's a trial, and these three women are sat in, in a courtroom before a judge, and the courtroom is full of men, about 500 men who are baying for these women's blood. And in the end, the judge rules, and his verdict is this, five years imprisonment for the Christianization of children. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? So they get sent to prison. They get sent to Indramaya State Penitentiary, a prison of 400 men, about 10 women. Now, they get sent to the prison women's block, and it's called Prison Block Juanita. Even the prison guards didn't want to go to prison block Juanita. When they did, they'd be armed and have, have truncheons and body shields, all of that. So these women arrive at prison block Juanita, and the smell is horrific. It, it's just horrendous. And so Dr. Rebecca feels prompted by God, and she says, look to one of the prison guards, can you give me a bucket of water and some disinfectant? And they start to clean on their first day in prison, prison block Juanita, the waste, human waste off the walls and everything. Then they start to care for these crazy women who are criminals, hardened women in prison block Juanita. They loved their enemy in that place. It wasn't easy, but an act of the will, a choice to love and partner with Jesus in the darkest of places. By the end of the month, uh, prison guards were going up to Dr. Rebecca getting advice for their health and well-being. By the end of the first six weeks or so, about 40 prison guards were going to Dr. Rebecca for advice. Absolutely crazy. After three months, the prison superintendent invited them to his office, and he said this, I was informed that you were subversives, and I was going to break your heart and mind the moment you came in this prison, but you've been nothing but a help in this place. And then he said this, how would it be if your church came to prison on a Sunday? And so the church comes to prison. For the next two and a half years, the women loved the haters. They did all sorts of things. They planted a fish farm, gardens. They loved people day in, day out. They were like Jesus' hands and feet in that place. Amazingly, they were set free two and a half years early, partly because uh, Open Doors and other organizations launched like an advo advocacy campaign and people wrote, thousands of people wrote letters to the president of Indonesia pleading justice. And this is why we still do this kind of thing today. So do check out those kind of campaigns that you can take part in at Open Doors. Finally, they were released. But do you know what? The week after they were set free from prison, what did Rebecca, Etty and Ratner do? They went back to the prison to do church because 47 people had come to faith in Jesus during those two and a half years. 
it might be hard to love your enemy. But when we engage our head and we say we want to partner with Jesus, something amazing happens. Something amazing happens. But linked closely with that is our hearts. Rebecca, Etienne, Ratner made a decision and to partner with God, to be obedient, to say yes. But they also fully engaged their hearts and they prayed. And this is what Jesus goes on to say. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You may well have heard the phrase, prayer changes the prayer. Maybe it's a bit of a cliche, but I actually believe it really is true. Prayer changes the prayer. If you are feeling bitter and enraged about some situation and someone who's treated you badly, and maybe you don't want to pray at first. I know I felt like this at times, but actually that moment you start to give it to God in prayer, come to God in that posture of prayer, even if you don't really have the words, something begins to shift. There is a perspective shift, and you're inviting God in on it. And when I was chatting to Tiram about the women that she works with and, and others who are persecuted in northern Nigeria who have gone through the worst of it in life, really do have enemies surrounding them, she was saying about how transformative it is when, when, when the likes of Ruby and Salome begin to say, I forgive. Because something happens, that release, that freeing of those emotions that capture and capture our hearts, that release of bitterness and anger. It's almost like the freeing of a burden, isn't it? But it only really happens when we pray, when we say, Jesus, I want to pray for my enemies. Tiram was saying last night to me, actually, that she'd love us to pray for her to love the persecutors in Nigeria. And I'm sure that's a prayer request that's uttered by thousands of Christians in northern Nigeria today. And she said, we need you. We need you to love, help us love our enemies. She said, in the body of Christ, we in Nigeria, we're like the injured foot that's bleeding. And it has this open wound. And you, Emma, you, the church in the United Kingdom, here, Christ Church, Winchester, you come alongside, and it's like you come and take care of that wound. It's powerful, isn't it? We might not have extreme enemies, but as Christians, we're part of the body of Christ. And when they suffer, we do. And actually, when we help to pray for them to love their enemies, we're praying for our enemies too. And we pray that they would encounter Jesus. We pray that those extremists in northern Nigeria would find out who really is God, and that there is only one God, and his name is Jesus. So we need our heads, and we need our hearts. And you know, when we pray, verse 45, Jesus says, he says that, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. When we pray, we're doing what God calls us to do as his children, as his sons and daughters. The only reason we can pray is because of what Jesus has done for us, restored us, reconciled us. We were once enemies, but now we're one with him. And we're his children. And as children, we're called to be different. As children of God, we're called to be different. We're called to be set apart, to stand out in the way we live and the way we love, even if it hurts. It's a love that costs to be just like Jesus. And then verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The end goal of our lives as Christians is to become more like Christ, our character formation. It isn't about all the things we can achieve, the power, the influence, the status, the comfort, the security, the wealth, 
popularity, plaudits, reputation, all of that. And I know that's hard because we so often hold on to those things. But we're, we're to let go of those, to let all of that loosen. And we've got to hold on to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to become more like you. The end goal of our lives is to become more godly, to become mature in our walk with Jesus, to become more like him. And I think tonight the challenge is where we stand in relation to our enemies and those who aren't like us, it's like the great litmus test of of how much we love. How much are we on that journey of becoming more like Christ? It's a big challenge. It's a challenge to me, and I hope it's a challenge to you. So many persecuted Christians have learned to say yes to Jesus, have learned to say, Jesus, I give you my head. I give you my heart. Not at all easy, but they take his words seriously, and they want to live them. They want to be like Jesus and love like Jesus. At the end of the trauma program that I experienced in northern Nigeria, I'll never forget it, Ruby and Salome and 10 other women who had all experienced similar experiences to to Ruby and Salome stood together and they began to say, one by one, I forgive them, I forgive them. And they began their journey, their process of loving their enemies. And you could see that weight, that burden of anger and grief and unforgiveness lifting. And at the end of this ceremony, they they kind of do this thing where they take their, their heart wounds and, and they, they put it in a fire, what they've written down, put it in a fire and take it to the cross. And then they began to sing the words of an old song, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It says that, you know, the, the, the world behind me, the cross before me. Another verse says, um, though none go with me, still I will follow. Powerful words to sing in the context of extreme persecution. But I want to encourage you, Our worlds may look very different from that of the persecuted church, but the call in our lives is to love Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love others well. Wherever we go, the places and spaces that Jesus takes us, to the people we like, the people we don't like, the people in between, those who treat us really badly, we're called to love them, and we're called to pray for them, and we need Jesus to help us connecting with the persecuted church really shatters some of the cliches and shows us the power and the depth of what it really means to follow Jesus. And I'd encourage you to do the same. If you're able to stand, please join me and stand for a moment. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. God, we thank you that you have turned our lives around. And if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know you, who isn't a Christian, I just want to invite you to maybe tonight take that step of asking Jesus into your life. To, yeah, just repent of what you've done and the the mess you've made of your life and invite Jesus in and uh, become right with him, become one with him. And uh, maybe talk to someone tonight um, who's maybe brought you along or one of the leaders here in this church. And for us who know you, God, we, we want more of you. We want your help. We want your equipping. And we just say we want to partner with you, Jesus. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. We want to grow in our walk with you. We want to be fruitful for you, Jesus. 
but we can't do it on our own. We want to be changed. We want to become more like Christ, but we need your spirit in us to help us. And tonight we say, we give you our heads. We give you our hearts. We give you every part of us. And would you just have your way in our lives and help us and help us to make this practical, to apply it to our everyday lives, that we would love people well, that even those that we don't like, those that we find irritating, those that are just trouble to us, just help us, help us to pray for them and to love them and see what difference and transformation can take place. Amen.